0: Fortune Smiles here on a Tuesday in December as I got a chance today to connect with somebody who has been on my radar for some time. He grew up in a bastion of post-bop in Southern California and uh, really gravitated towards that music of improvisation and uh, I think his manifesto uh, in whatever musical setting it is, is always playing beyond what he knows and being as vulnerable as possible on the bandstand Ultimately, that's when magic and music intersect, and the ultimate unquantifiable healing can can occur, both amongst the musicians and the patrons. Greg Matheson, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Thanks, Jake. You know, uh, did you have an opportunity, I remember talking to Paul Barrere from Little Feet, and uh, he would go, as a teenager, he'd go to the, I think it was called the It Club, or there were some jazz clubs. He would peek through the hole, and Ahmad Jamal would be playing in there. Dexter Gordon. Right. I'm curious about your exposure to the black jazzers. Uh, uh, you know, of that time, and you know the early mid '60s when you started to, you know, perk your ears up and, and get into music.
1: Oh, okay. Well, before you get there, uh, the you have to understand that I was born into a. Uh, my father was uh, a bebop trombone player. Wow. And uh, my earliest memory was sitting in front of a mono speaker built by my father from the Uh and, and listening to Charlie Parker and Monk and Dizzy Gillespie.
2: Wow, wow, uh, wow. I,
1: bet, I mean, I still can see that memory and I was only three, you know. So there was this whole... I mean, there was non-stop bebop in my house, and there was no rock and roll allowed in my house <laughs> because, because my father hated Jimi Hendrix because he and yeah. uh, and the other rock and roll because it, he felt that it took away his jazz, you know. Um, huh. and, and so, uh, and so, everything that I learned was out of there. Although it started to uh, coalesce. Um, when I was about fourteen or something, I think Ramsey Lewis came out right with uh, with um, the In Crowd, the In Crowd, right? And I went, "Oh man, that's <laughs> <it."> you know, <laughs> you know." And then it was Horace Silver, you know, with, right? Uh,
0: totally, dude.
1: Um, um, songs from my father,
0: huge, huge crossover. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, I think. uh, uh Steely Dan ripped off that that for Ricky don't
0: lose done. that number they absolutely did right. they absolutely exactly. did they absolutely right. did.
1: exactly and then uh right around that time too uh there was Richard groove Holmes playing a Hammond B3 hour like, what is that you know and uh and it was misty bum bum and his left hand was kicking, man. I mean, it was kicking pedals like I, I still listen to that thing, you know. And uh, that's why I always sign off on, on Facebook, Groove Hard
2: Greg, you know, <laughs> because, of,
1: because of Richard, you know. Uh, but as far as clubs, I, you know, the It Club kind of sounds uh, familiar, but uh, I had a friend, uh, Tom Morell. Uh, whose, whose brother was so
0: John amazing, Earl. dude. So amazing, Tommy. Is he still with us, by the way?
1: Uh,
0: who, Tommy?
1: Uh, um, I'm you know, I haven't heard from you in a while.
0: Go ahead, continue. Yeah. I didn't mean to break that up. Go ahead.
1: Well, no, um, so, um, I got to see a lot of the you know, at Shelly's Manhole, which is not there anymore. Um, it uh, you know we uh, we get to go in for free sneak us in the back door and I got to see all kinds of people there. I saw Miles Davis. I uh, saw uh, you know uh, I mean just tons of people. Larry Young was playing. Oh my him god, lifetime. dude!
0: Emergency, dude! You know, all Larry. Right. Oh my god!
1: And so you know I was exposed to a lot of all that stuff. You know, so
0: uh, no, I want I, this is what I was getting at. It's like so. You know that that early, like, who would you tip your cap to in terms of um, the bone players of that time? I mean, obviously the two that come to mind from listening to records when you were younger, someone like Curtis Fuller. But then, like later, like I have no, to, no it
1: was Frank Rosalino. The, oh I
0: no, have, I want the, I was going to say at Shelley's. Did you see Frank? I mean, see, Frank was the was the next guy coming out of my mouth.
1: You no, know, well, Frank Rosalino is just. Uh, is just uh, you
0: know. A um, legendary cat.
1: Yeah, and and do you have you ever heard? Um,
0: uh, Every day it rains, it rains. Monsters and meatballs. <laughs> 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 I, do, I, heard not, that? I gotta hit that. I gotta find. You like, gotta well find that. Bridge. Oh man. Uh,
1: because he he stats, Yeah, uh, he scats the bridge. He goes. Um, they say. Know what? He goes, movie, <laughs> <"S- 'Kay, "S- laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> and, he stuck, and he
2: goes
1: into double time. <laughs> you know, real fast. And he ends up, oh end up at the end in a yodel <laughs> and laughing.
2: Oh, my
1: God. It's it's a great 45. I still had a 45. So um,
0: this is going back to, like, Liberty Records when he was, like, his dick hide. With know, the v- I yeah.
1: don't know. I, I was not a big fan of looking at what companies. I did, I did. yeah, so, so think this. Uh, you know, I was raised <laughs> on Frank Rosalino, so dude. I'm
0: that crying. is so. I don't know anybody that had a better <laughs> musical upbringing than Greg Matheson if you were raised on Frank Rosalino, man.
1: No, I mean, I mean you just gotta give it to the cat, forget about so, it.
0: So,
2: uh,
1: so Frank Rosalino was my uh, uh, was my father's hero. Okay, so I guess I sometime when I was around 20, we'll just skip ahead for a second, 21 or something, I get a call from rock, Frank Rosalino. He says, can you play Dante's tonight? You know?
0: And, oh, this is sick. And, and this I is go, sick. I go, Frank, you know, I'm not really the bebop. You know,
2: I, I can, you know, you know, I'm, I don't think I'm up to your caliber, you know?
1: I, you know, cause I, you know, I was playing rock and roll, other kinds of styles, you know? And, uh, he said, man, I've called everybody, man. I'm really hung up. Can you show up tonight? I said, okay. And and so we get on the bandstand, you know, and he looks back at me and he goes, Star ops the starry eyes. I just, I oh my the God. The and I go, Frank, I go, Frank, man, I don't know that song. And he looks at me and says, That's a good song. You should know it. <laughs> That's how the night
0: started. And then he broke into it?
1: No, man. The bass players, the bass player behind me said, hey, Frank, you know, he's
0: a kid. <laughs> what was it like? Who was that, like Chuck DeMonaco or something? Who was playing bass? Somebody,
1: yeah, somebody like that. Oh, my,
0: <laughs> dude, you were marinating in this stuff. Yeah, so, so,
1: we made it, you know, I knew enough tunes to make it through the night, you know what I mean? And I think he does the way I played, but, you know, that was that was the end
0: of that. Dude, that just, is so just, legendary, 21, 20, wait, I I wonder if, like, Frank Butler was on drums or something. I mean, these guys were, like, I guess that's, I just wanted you to riff on this because I, I feel like for you, someone like yourself, you know, anybody from, the, from your generation, you really had access to the original or some of the original masters of this music that we know as, as jazz. And to me, I don't care if it was Cannonball or Frank Butler or Conti Condoli or Hal Blaine. I mean, these guys were playing their life. And their life had a lot of blues in it. So there was a lot of right. authenticity. And I just, I wanted you to talk about how, how that helped you find your own individual sound. The reason I say that is because in today's world, younger cats are, you know, learning. I just don't think you can codify the, the music that we're talking about. And, and, and to put it in the academy and learn in the academy, you wind up sounding like your professor. And if that was the case with all the cats that you were under, they would have keeled over and died. So I just want, I want you to just talk about that playing your life and how you learned to channel your life through your music. Okay,
1: well, okay, so then you have to think this. I started playing, taking piano lessons at eight. So then at 13, I got in a car accident the first semester of junior high, and I couldn't, I broke an arm, uh-huh. okay? So I decided... Uh, you know, I felt bad for my father because he had to give up his dream of being a trombone player to support me and my mom. Right. So I said, okay, uh, I'm going to take up the trumpet. And so we could play duets. And that's what I did. And, and so what happened was that I got to play all the way through junior high and all the way through high school, uh, because I played trumpet and, they needed trumpet in the band. You know, there is no place to play piano, or at least back then. That's right. In, in school, you know what I mean? So uh Wow,
0: and even in a big band setting, no piano.
1: Well, no, yeah, but they didn't have big bands back then, man. You it was like
0: know, small ensembles about, or something. Yeah, well,
1: talking about, no, but I mean, you know, San Fernando High had, you know, marching
0: there right That's Sousa the kind of J- right I, did. I yeah. did yeah you know what I mean yeah I did I it's pretty square yeah yeah wear
1: those wear that stupid hat yeah ah. march Jeez. around the field
0: you know. oh
1: god uh, but it allowed me to be to have this this whole thing and so uh, so my so my favorite uh, of all time is actually the most influence on me was Miles Davis because uh, I was playing trumpet. Okay. Right. And and, um, and then Lee Morgan. Uh, I really love Lee Morgan, man. Because Lee Morgan really had those of dogs that, you know, he'd go, dee, 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 you, know, you know, I mean, just, just nailed it. Dude, that
0: me. guy was so nasty. Oh, the other cat is Blue Mitchell. Unreal right. cat.
1: Right. And uh, there was Freddie Hubbard
0: you know, what he No, I mean, it was insane. It was in, insa- but I want to be clear. You were playing one hand trumpet when you broke your arm. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. So,
1: okay. So, oh. <laughs> so, uh, so, so that's kind of where my influence, well, my father, okay, so I'm playing trumpet now, taking trumpet lessons. And, uh, and, uh, so there's a piano sitting there. And so I start getting some big books and, uh, uh, and I'm just kind of picking out notes and stuff and trying to figure out parts of my own, right? And so my father, to his blessing, you know, found, a, he, he was a big Stan Kenton uh, orchestra guy, right? right. And, and so uh, he, uh, he found out that one of the arrangers for Stan Kenton was teaching trumpet like about two miles from my house. So he marched me down there, and I already had a trumpet, uh, trumpet uh, uh, lesson guy, right? And so uh, he he went up to Kent Hanna and says, "I want you to teach him harmony." And the, you know, and and Ken Hanna, that was his name, right. the orchestra He said, uh, "He said, no, man, I, I teach trumpet. No, I want you to teach him harmony." So <laughs>
2: at fifteen,
1: I started learning harmony, wow. like jazz harmony.
2: Wow! Wow!
1: Um, and so. that just gave me a big boost because you know, by the time I graduated high school, I could teach the harmony class, you know, and, uh, and then to, to, to to put the nail in the coffin, you know, I had always, you know, I had always been the best musician in junior high and
0: in high school. Okay. So I need to go to, uh, I, uh, go where you want to go, go where you want to go. Yeah.
1: Okay. So I, so, uh, uh, my grades were good enough to go to UCLA, but I checked out UCLA and it was nothing but classical music. That week. you know, we're talking about. I graduated in '68. Huh. You know, and it, I mean, there was no contemporary classes. And then I found out that the
0: best uh, big band in school was at Valley College. Um, oh, I love this! This is warming my heart. Warming, Coast, my heart. warming my heart. Yep.
1: And they had the Bob. Lawrence, big man charts, all his charts, and nobody else even you know even came close. I mean, we won state champion twice, but before I get to that, um, so I go. So I uh, back right now. You start school in June, and you graduate uh,
0: from that kind of year, right?
1: I was the last class that was half year, so I graduated high school in February.
2: Wow,
1: and and so uh, so I so I'm going. You know, I, I'm full piss and vinegar because I've been the best cat in school. You know,
0: you're fired it's, up.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's the you know the big fish in the small pond or whatever. <laughs> small pond. So I, I go I go so i you know I go to the tryouts for the A band, right? And there are eighteen trumpet players whoa, that are better whoa, than me. I whoa. mean, you know, there's screeners, You know. I could play a better solo, so I, man, I couldn't. I didn't make the A band first time in my life, man. And I went, oh man, you know, guess I'm gonna have to teach or do something. I'm not gonna be a musician, you know. This is really a drag. So, I uh, I go through that first semester kind of like with my you know tail between my legs, and uh, and then I think you know I'm gonna go to the summer school because nobody goes to summer school, you know. And I, I'm going to take the A band, right? And so, I, and so, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I, I show up to the, you know, to the tryouts, again, and those same eighteen trumpet players are there, and I go, oh,
0: I can't man. dodge these cats. Yeah, yeah, I'm
1: going, man. You know, that's it. That's the nail on the coffin, man. You know, I'm going to be a teacher.
0: I'm out. Right? Yeah.
1: That, that's that's going to be it, right? And so the piano player didn't show up, <laughs> and so the. Dr. Carlson says, well, can anybody play play piano? And I go, yeah, I can play piano. (laughs) (laughs) So I went down there, because this is is after all the uh, bebop lessons I got from Ken Hammond, you know. Uh, I read the chart, took a great solo, and he he turned to me and he says, not only are you the piano player in the A band
2: now, but for as long as you go to school, you're the piano player. So I
0: put my trumpet aside and never picked it up again. That is a remarkable. So, you know, you, I, I want to be clear though. I Just going back to, because we can get lost in these, uh, go down these rabbit holes. Learning harmony from Hannah helped you develop your individual voice, do you believe?
1: He, he, he did some interesting things. Like, uh, let's take the, the, the song, Misty. Okay? Yeah. He would say, okay. I want you to take the chord changes to Misty, but write a whole new album.
0: Okay? Right, right.
1: And I have to come up and play for them the very next week, you know, seven days later, uh, you know. And so, I did, and, and so I would do that. He said, okay, now I want you to take the melody of, of Misty and write a whole separate chord, chord changes for it. <laughs>
2: you know? Wow, wow.
1: Which is really what jazz is all about it is all about, you know You uh, or improvisation you know, you have a form you know, and then and then you have the structure of chords and then you improvise over the top okay um, so that was the that's when it started to click in my head oh wow, okay you know um uh, you know that's what kind of what jazz is, except I except that it's not writing it down. You know what I mean?
0: Just absolutely no. I mean, was would you say that he was? I remember a buddy of mine at New England Conservatory, uh, and this is more from a rhythmic point of view. But the piano is a percussive instrument. I mean, yeah. You know, uh, he he his teacher, Rockalon Bob Moses, the great drummer, would say, you know, he'd give him like you know. Dear old Stockholm, you know, uh, Coltrane right. with like right. I think Roy Haynes plays drums on that, and he'd be like, "Go home and contour this song." I mean, don't play, don't do it note for note, but contour it, you know, like. And I just feel like, yeah, you know, like your your most importantly, your 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 ears, which were already huge because you were listening to all that bebop growing up, your ears must have just been huge, like elephant ears after that ha- hand.
1: Well, yeah, and, and um, what I didn't realize at the time was, uh, and if you listen to all my playing from from top to bottom, uh, 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 the most important thing, the, the thing that, you know, everybody's given, I don't I, you know if you're religious or what, you right. know, you're born with a certain amount of uh, talent.
0: Absolutely, right? genius, yeah. But,
1: Right, but mine wasn't um, uh, uh, wasn't like a lot of chops, and it wasn't like you know this you know big. I could read anything, you know, you know that was put in front of me. Right,
0: you weren't like, like reading flypaper, paper, like that, that kind of stuff. Yeah, right.
1: You know what I was born with was, was a gift of time. I can uh, my time
0: is almost perfect. That's awesome. You know, I can play to a click for
1: days you know not that i want to but
2: i can <laughs>
1: and and the, uh what i figured out was that you know you can play behind the beat and you can play on top of the beat okay so when you play latin music like chicorea when he plays spain he's way on top of the beat you know
0: totally uh uh when you listen to richard you know when you listen to uh like the sidewinder with uh um, Lee Morgan. Morgan or, yeah. He's, he, he puts it on the back
1: side and it sounds so funky. You know, it's that, it's that, uh, like, you're not almost, you're you're almost out of time. You're laying way back, you know. And so that's the key, uh, that's the gift that God gave me, you know.
0: That is so, of that, that is thing, absolutely.
1: I, I, I had to practice everything else. I had to learn everything else, you
0: know. Well, I, I want to read, read you this. Th- this is going to bring back some, maybe some memories, but I just want you to riff because I deeply feel the spirit of this family in our interview. I want to read this from my interview with, with, uh, with John Morell, and then you can uh, riff on it. He said, My father was a guitar player, and he couldn't find any work in Niagara Falls. He had a, he had a very good friend, Tommy Tedesco, who right. got him a job in Vegas and got him to move to L.A., When I was young, my father was very active in the business, but he still had this very basic love of jazz music. I know that every night I used to come home and we used to sit and we used to play tunes. He'd comp for me, I'd comp for him. I'd play a solo and then he'd play a solo. I learned how to construct solos and keep time for him. It gave me a sense of how to play and how not to play. Rather than just being in a room all by yourself, you're playing with somebody. So where where did Tom, talk about your, did you know, uh, I think, what was John's father's name? I, I forget his first name.
1: Um, I forget his name, but yes, I met I met him
2: a number of times.
0: Can um, you just talk about, like, when, so did you, after you got the piano gig at Valley College, is that when you met th- met Tom?
1: Uh, it must have been, um, okay, we, it was after Steve Bohannon died. Right. Uh, okay. Yeah. Now, you have to realize, I bought... Uh, I got my parents to co-sign for me to go buy a, a real Hammond B.
0: Oh, this is sick.
1: With the less, with
0: did, the less did, did they lease you a Hurst as well to put it in? <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs>
1: And and uh, uh, so I bought it in 1969 because because uh, uh, I uh, I know that for a fact. Anyway, uh, I was going to go to another story. I shouldn't.
0: Dude, so, we're going to be. Uh, this is only set one. We're not going to get through everything. Don't worry about it. Right.
1: Right, so
0: who, um, do you remember when Steve Bohannon died? Do you, I, you? I, you know, it was around, like, it, it, Shelly Mann did, did this very rare album called Outside, and he dedicated a tune to Bohannon. I think that album came out in 70, so 69, 70 in that range. Right,
1: so, so uh, because I was, uh, now, now, John's
2: father was still alive. Yeah. And so was, uh, and, and I was playing with Tom
1: Morell, jamming, you know, songs. You know, he would be coming over to my house and we'd be playing, you know. Uh, so, uh, John Morell found out that I could play B3 and uh, he asked me if I would come over and jam with the, with the cats. Oh,
0: my God, dude. And
1: so, you know, I think it was John Garron and me and I forget who played bass but it was one of those famous cats.
0: Uh, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Uh we're talking like
1: 1970,
0: right? It wasn't yeah, I mean I dude, I cannot believe. Hold on. Tom was younger than John, is that right? Right. So Tom you so, like so Tom Tom, junior. yeah, and Tom was was Tom. So you and Tom would jam and then Johnny well, got we were,
1: we were buddies, we were friends, you know, and and John was about three years older than me, and uh, and so we were like the you know, the up and coming cats right behind John Morrell, you know.
0: This is so and so I bet it was like Chuck Berghofer or something. I wonder who played something, that, you
1: know. I can't,
0: I can I know, yeah, it's all, I yeah. Was, I was
1: so scared.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're just like, help me make it through the night, you know.
1: Right, so yeah. so I moved, I can remember the house, because uh, yeah. Tom and John were still there living together, oh my God. and so uh, it was real close to my house in Mission Hills, and so I moved my B3 in,
0: and uh, they kind of you know, one, two, one, three. So hyper quick, dude. Oh and,
1: it's, and it's all instrumental, I mean, polytonal chords, which I had no idea how to play. I mean, I could... I could calm, I, I understood the harmony of it, but it's not like, uh, it was um, it was a higher end of, of jazz than I was used to, so real quick, on the spot, I had to like fake my this thing and I, you know, I said, well, thanks a lot, guys, you know, and uh, I thought, I walked out and I thought, man, these cats are never going to call me, <laughs> you know, that, that was the worst <laughs> thing I could have ever done, and so, uh, uh, they kept calling me back, <laughs> and and that's when I I realized that the best place you can be in a band is be the worst player because you have to play up to their level.
0: Uh, the other way of saying that is to always play play with people that are better than you, but it's very encouraging. Exactly. It's just very encouraging when those better than you cats are calling you back. Mm-hmm. You know, because they see they feel that. Would you was was there a way the polytonal stuff? Uh, what would, I mean, at that time, 70, 71, I mean, uh, who would you compare, how would you compare that? Well, who was doing that within the, the medium of jazz? I mean, well, you
1: have to realize that, okay, uh, um, Miles started doing it with, uh, in a silent way. What was, what was the other one, um, if I had his roster in front of me,
0: kind of, kind of blue or?
1: You no, know, kind of blue. It's all straight ahead. and uh, Oh, yeah, like... Cf- yeah. So, uh, you know... Uh, like
0: Nefertiti or something? Yeah, yeah.
1: there you go, yeah. Nefertiti. Nefertiti was uh, polytonal
2: for us. Polytonal. You know? Well, it just means... uh um Like taking a D chord, but it's got C in the
1: base. And the root is act You're actually in C, but there's a D chord on top I dig, of it. So I dig. it's like... We're, do I play in D or do I play in C? Right. You know what I mean? Which notes do I use? in a seven or a major seven, you know? Or, you know, uh, and the, the lesson out of all of that is it can be anything you want, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it,
0: it, it's whatever you hear, you know? Um, and um, did and, that, did that, that, did that, Um, please tell me that, that after you got your chops up, that that small band with the Morell brothers maybe turned into a little gig for you guys?
1: Well, no, actually, we never played live. Wow. uh, I mean, I played, I did a lot. You know, back then,
0: going to college,
1: uh, uh, I I started playing, you know, to keep keep money flowing, you know. uh,
0: Every wedding needed a band. You know, every party needed a band. Bar Mitzvahs, everything, yeah.
1: Yeah, I would work Friday night, and then a uh, wedding reception or something on a Saturday, and then a Saturday night party, and then another wedding, you know, reception on Sunday. You know what I mean? And I did a lot of that with Tom Morel. Uh, that
0: is so beautiful, man.
1: Yeah, and well, you know, uh, when uh, when things got weird around the
0: '80s or something, you know, uh, real weird. Yeah, uh, with music, you know. And yeah, yeah. You know, at the end of the 80s and into end of the 90s, uh,
2: there was no place to play, you know, because we had been supplanted by DJs, right. you
1: know, right. which was okay for me. But I, I was thinking about my son, you know, where is he going to go play? You know what I mean? There is, you know, there's no place to actually get that live experience, you know. Uh, and, you uh, I was really worried about that. And then when I got on Facebook and I started seeing guys uh, playing at home by themselves, just like you said, you know, uh, right. I realized that
0: they were at least learning it in school, which I didn't, I didn't get. I had to go through the school, school of hard knocks, you know. But go, that to me through. is like, yeah, it's called the bandstand or, I, 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 you know, uh, you I, I really want to document this for the record. I've been meaning to ask you about this, but now we get it. We can document it. I picked up this record several times, uh, and I am just floored that you were a part of it. I don't necessarily remember seeing your name on the record. I don't necessarily know if they put the company's credits on it, but I need you to tell me this story. It's a almost like a plantation-looking black woman Leaning down and picking up all these small little people in the Earth Earth Choir, right? Where uh, it, I mean that it is one of the most sophisticated. I don't know. It's like a soul album. It's insane. And I just, uh, I, how did that come to be? Uh, you
1: know, I'm gonna have to look that up, man. Uh...
0: Nineteen. No, I mean, dude, 1972 Earth Choir. That was your first. Oh,
1: Earth Choir. Yeah,
0: wow. that was your first. Was that okay. your first time in the studio?
1: No. Um, okay. Uh, well, you and I are friends with a guy named uh, Danny Krieger. Oh, uh,
0: let my hero. Right.
1: right. And um, uh, there's an interesting thing with. Before I answer that question. Go ahead. yes. Uh, um. When I. Um, so. I guess I met Danny in 1969 too. Also,
0: how do you, do you remember how you met him at all? Or he wasn't playing obviously with the jazzers.
1: Yeah, there was a saxophone player, I forget his name, that was in the jazz band, right? You know, um, in, in the school band at the LAVC. And oh, I remember this guy named Bob Crosby. Oh my god, uh, I know which is a weird name. Uh, I love it. Asked me to, uh, if I wanted to go play, you know, like uh, in a garage band, like, right? and the thing for me, my motto was, let me play, I'll play anything. I'll play R&B, I'll play rock and roll, I'll play whatever, you know, just make me feel good, you know? Sure. And so, uh, that band was called Handley. okay?
0: H-Y-M-N, H-Y-M-N?
1: H-A-M-L-E-Y, I think. Wow. And okay, so, so, uh, so the deal that I made with, uh, Danny Krieger was, um, uh, cause he, he was playing all these old, real old blues uh, guys, you know, uh, uh, so we, I would teach him about jazz and take him to, to places. He would teach me about rock, you know, or basically the blues. right? And, you know, and, uh. Because you know, like the first couple times I played with that band, you know, I was playing too many two-five ones. You know,
2: <laughs> they were playing—you
1: playing, know, the one chord, the five chord, and the four chord. Oh, That's it.
2: So class, <laughs> you know I mean? so I had to learn how to play on three chords uh, with triads. You know, I mean, uh, so and that was a great experience. He took me to to
1: see Shugie Otis oh. with. Uh, uh, with Johnny Otis, you know the hand job. Absolutely, dude.
0: His dad, yeah. Johnny Otis, show, yeah, absolutely. Right, so
1: I took, and I would take him. Um, I took him to go see Herbie Hancock
0: at the at the, at the uh, manhole. Where where at the manhole? Uh,
1: uh, the lighthouse. Oh my God! And that was uh, when Benny Moffat was playing.
0: It was that. Uh, oh my God! The M1D. M1 she the M1D. She. Yeah. The M1D she band with Eddie Henderson and Buster Williams and those cats. Right, you're right. Oh and, my! I cannot uh, believe you and Krieger were in the tennis That, that, <laughs> that music <laughs> is so <laughs> mind blowing. Okay, so dig this. Oh so my God! <laughs>
1: the morning of that day, look, we had that uh, big uh, earthquake.
0: That uh, the S- oh yeah, the San in Fernando in Valley Silmar. earthquake. Yeah. In
1: Silmar, right? Seventy one. Yeah, down
0: absolutely. That
1: okay. So that. Day that night we were still having like tremors right. and So I drank. I, you know I dragged Danny
2: and a couple of the other guys who were not boppers or you
1: know any hadn't heard jazz. You
0: know?
1: <laughs> and I dragged them to the to the lighthouse and the band was on fire. Fire. I mean, fire. And it, it was like it was the last night they were going to ever play again. Right. right. Because, they just gone through this earthquake, you know, and you you knew it was, was happening because um, there was a point in the tomb where they were burning and everybody stopped, right? Right, right. And they all looked at each other like, what just happened? You know, it was by accident or by a fluke, you know, and then they all came back in together and they were just cracking up, laughing, having a great time, and so... That changed. <laughs> yeah, i
0: got to be honest. That's one of the best stories. You know what's so crazy, man, is like I've interviewed Buster. I've interviewed Eddie. I've interviewed Billy Hart. I've interviewed Julian Priester. And to a man, Benny Mappin won't talk to me. He's a little bit odd. Herbie's still in the wings. But to a man, they were at that time in particular, they were all reading the same spiritual texts like Siddhartha, right. uh, you know, this kind of stuff. They were so t- telepathic. They talked about a gig at the London House in Chicago. You can imagine them opening with like, you know, a, a ten minute percussion into like eighteen minutes of just ethereal music. People are there trying to eat a steak dinner, you know? Right, it, it, right. And yet they were they were in an ashram on the bandstand together. It was unbelievable. And for you to actually have seen that in person must have been a revelation.
2: Well, okay.
1: So I'm
0: going to comment on what you just said. Yeah. so Keep that in your pocket. Yeah. Okay? So there is this. There was the
1: singer in Hanley was Mike Gorfing, and I don't know if you know who Mike Gorfing
0: is. Uh, okay. No, I need. I need to get to that. Who is that cat?
1: Okay, Mike Gorfing uh, is Gorf, uh, part of Gorfing Sports. They're a huge uh, management company, wow. but but they manage a lot of the music. Big-time movie
0: people uh, like orchestrators like John Williams. Sure, know, sure, yeah. sure. I mean, you know, we're talking about the, the heaviest band. cats. Yeah,
1: yeah. We're talking about Star Wars and uh, Indiana Jones and stuff like that. You know, so, forget about it. So, so that he was the singer in there. You know, he. You know, we were. He was. Uh, I think he's a year younger than me. So I think he was about nineteen or something. That was in that band. Okay. Wow. So wow. for some reason, I can't remember why that band broke up. Uh, I got a, I, My best friend then at that time was Jay Grayton. And, and he said, uh, you know, um, uh, they're having, um, oh, I can't remember uh, the name of the band now, uh,
2: who's the uh the albino uh,
1: rock
0: and roll. Uh, oh, the Edgar Johnny and you Edgar know, Winter. And he
1: played alto and
0: piano. Yeah, and Edgar split. Edgar Winter.
1: Edgar Winter. Oh, the band
0: was White Trash. White Trash. Oh my God! Sick. So yeah. He, he
1: had quit at White Trash, uh, and and also I think it was Rick Derringer was playing guitar. You're
0: absolutely yeah. Absolute. quit
1: And they were and so White Trash was having um, uh, uh, like uh, auditions. So I went down there, and I got the gig. And, and, and actually, my best friend, Jay, didn't, but that, that didn't really matter. So anyway, <laughs> I'm, so so all of a sudden, you know, there's like cases of beer. I mean, we're talking like, you know, serious rock and rollers. Oh my, the like hardcore
0: white, I hardcore mean, the, the whitest right. of white. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, and oh my so, God. And so like, you know, I'm doing it, and uh, they're going to cut an
1: album. And, uh, and, which I do, there's a great story behind that, but I'll
0: come back. To no, no, no. Cause I'm all I'm seeing here is, uh, Jerry LaCroix, no, no, Jerry LaCroix no, no, album.
1: That was the same. That was the album. It was going to be white trash.
0: Dude, you're yeah, on my, that's, that's one of my favorite albums in the world. This Jerry LaCroix album. Well, so, the so one with the, the one with the him. lion on it, I think. Go ahead. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, you want to hear a little side. Oh yeah, but I need today.
0: I need it. Yeah, go. On. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
1: Well, so, uh, so, so, uh, you know, I
0: quit, and they said, well, you know what, come on, by and play on a couple, to uh, a couple tracks. We still need your part here and there, you know. Right. And so I said, okay,
1: you know, it was there was no money in it. It was you know I was just you know doing it. You know, I was doing it to spread my wings. Dude, come so, on! You're, like, you're
0: you're 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 building your resume. You know.
1: Right, right, and so uh, the uh, the session was at Bolick Sound on La
2: Brea. Uh It's it, but it was on the other side of La Brea, You know,
1: there's a bunch of oil wells and stuff like that. And, and uh,
0: what was the name of that? What was Manchester the name of the huh? What was the name of the studio? What was the name of the studio? Bolick Sound. How do you spell that? It's, I think it
1: was B-O-L-I-C. Bolick. Anyway. Wow. Yeah, Bolick. Okay, so. Uh, so it, it was um, Ike Turner's studio. Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
1: like uh, Ike and Tina Turner. Sure. Right? Okay. So I'm, you know, we're on a break and stuff. I'm in a bathroom. And uh, <laughs> uh, all the lights go out. Oh, no. I mean, totally, just completely dark, right? <laughs> and, so, and so I kind of, you know, do my way around, clean myself up, you know. Uh, get it together! I remember where the door is, so I go out to the door. I know I have to make a left. And as I step out, there's this guy with a flashlight and a machine gun.
0: No <laughs> he says, way! Dude.
1: He says, "Stop, stop, man!" And I go, "Hey, man! <laughs> you know, I'm a piano player." <laughs> right,
0: right, 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 right. And he comes
1: up and flashes the light, in my you know, in my face, and it's it's I. I turn. Oh
0: right. my God!
1: And he's convinced that that it's not a blackout, but it's a it's a, a, a raid. He, he tells me that the police are going to come in, busting through the front door. He's got
0: an, he an FBI, FBI raid going on. Yeah, right.
1: You know, because God knows what he was doing on the side. Right? Dude, he
0: was so it, paranoid at that point. Holy right. cow!
1: So it turns out they they lived. I think Tina lived uh, on the second story. You know so anyway I so like you know I'm freaked out this guy's gotta go so I said look I'm gonna go back to the just studio 8 so I ke- I walk down this hallway it's completely black you know Jesus and I know Christ. where the door is <laughs> to the left is inside the studio but if I go straight uh I'm gonna be on O'Brien Boulevard right you know so I go man I gotta get out of this building because God knows what's
0: gonna happen my wait the whole wait, they that everybody, had everybody left. It was all black. No,
1: no, they were still. They were all still in the studio.
0: And you just were like, "I got to get out."
1: No, so I just said, <laughs> "Well, I knew it was going to be a break at least, or something." You know, what I right? Mean? So, I mean, cause, well, there's no power, you know, so nothing's getting exactly
0: done. right, right?
1: <laughs> so I walk out onto La Brea Boulevard, you know, and I'm standing there for a couple seconds, and I'm looking around. And it's a blackout, you know, there's no police coming, you know,
2: <laughs> you know electricity is not up going down the street or
1: going up the street, everything, you know, there's no red lights, no green lights, you know, and after about two or three minutes, this real free woman came, you know, came out and she's kind of like in sweatpants and, you know, like something you would lounge in, you sure. know, watch TV, right? Ended up being Tina Turner.
0: <laughs> oh, my. So,
1: so I got to hang out with Tina Turner for about 45 minutes.
0: This is um, unbelievable. Right. Okay. This no. is outrageous.
1: <laughs> right. I know. I mean, it's a little finish Oh,
0: my God. This is great.
1: Okay. So, that is so the, album fr- gets, the album gets finished. They already know I'm going to quit. One of the reasons why I was going to quit was because uh, – uh, Earth Choir wanted me to be in the band, and, and Mike Orphane was singing in Bad Thing. Okay. And so, uh, and Earth Choir had four singers um, uh, it had uh, uh, Mike Orphane, it had Tata
0: Vega. Dude, I'm uh, telling you, man. The they, four. They had a, yeah, go ahead. Yeah,
1: well, it, uh, the third, uh, Carmen, um, I forget Carmen's last name, but she sang the. The lead to the Lion King later on in her life. Wow, you know, she was a really great singer too, and I forget who the fourth singer was. And so uh, there was no guitar in the band, so it was it was two saxophones, uh, you know, piano, uh, organ, bass, and drums. Uh, and I played a Rhodes too. And four singers, and it was called Earth And that's the band that you were referencing.
0: I'm obsessed with uh, dude that record. I still. To this day, it that four, the four part, the four octave range or whatever, right. it's it's like I still have a hard time getting my ear around it. I mean, it's it, it was it's very sophisticated and almost. Um, I mean, it's not jazz, but I, I'm just I want to be clear. You never toured with White Trash, did you?
1: Right. No, I ne- well that was one of the reasons why I quit. Right, because because I thought you know. If I go out with this band, you know, it's going to be, you know, like throwing TV out.
0: The, dude, know, I mean, the you're gonna, you would be a, you would be a carcass on the side of the road after a few weeks. Right, yeah. and,
1: and sadly, Bobby Ramirez, I think
0: is... Yo, yo, band. yo, man, you're touching the heartstrings right now, dude.
1: Right, he died on that tour. He,
0: Are he you died. kidding me?
1: He, he, no, that, that was the tour uh, that he died. Um,
0: he was and, a monstrous drummer.
1: Yeah. No, he was great.
0: So uh, you saw the handwriting on the. You didn't want to be roadkill, and you got into earthquake Yeah, I
1: mean mm-hmm. within the first month, uh, they, they 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 played some club, and he got into
0: with uh, some guy, and he, the guy took out a knife and Stafford. Yeah, yeah, because that Rick Murata, uh told me that at a certain point they were at the Nassau Coliseum. This might have I don't know. This was maybe a little bit before. Uh, the, your experience recording with them, but he had, like, he had busted, like, this tendon in his thumb, uh, and he had this huge cast on his hand, and they're playing Nassau Coliseum, just pounding and shredding and banging and just doing all the things White Trash does. And Murata's, so Murata's filling in for him because he's, you know, Bobby's on the DL, and... Then for the, uh, I guess it was maybe the encore towards the end, Bobby's like, let me play, man. Let me play. He takes the sticks. He goes out. Rick said he played when he got off the bandstand, his whole hand. He had broke, whatever surgery had been done, he had broken off. The, the tendon had blown open. There was blood everywhere. And he was just, he was just smiling. He could he was as happy as a clam. Well, no, I mean, he was the loudest drummer I ever heard Ever. The back back backbeat on the snare drum was just, and it was in the pocket, too. And uh, he used to have this permanent, like, uh, uh, kind of like a blood, uh, uh, you know. uh, Like a towel or something.
1: Not a scab, but like, uh, you know, a blister.
0: Oh, my, yeah, that's right, the blister. It was the blister that broke over. That's what it was. Right,
1: right. And and he, every rehearsal was
0: break open. Oh my, <laughs> my god! You knew this. Holy <laughs> yeah. See, you were yeah. right. You're like I. This is not the perfect fit for Matheson at this point. No. Yeah, but it did. It, but but it did give me the New
1: Orleans vibe. Really? You know? Yeah, because they were big. They're rock and roll.
0: Had other well, tech, you know. I mean, Edgar was, a, Collins, yeah,
1: that Collins thing, no, that you
0: know, Gulf Coast, a, definitely, yeah, absolutely. It
1: was, it was John Smith on, on saxophone, and uh, man, he was the loudest tenor player I ever heard in my life. <laughs> he had that real raspy rock and roll, you know. Uh, and there, there was um, Twilly, I forget his last name, and another guy named Carmen that were all uh, horn players, and uh, uh, I learned. I mean, I didn't know it at the time, but I learned the rock and roll of New Orleans feel by playing with them. You know what I mean?
0: You played? Because did it, you play? Did you actually play live? Did you play some? Oh local? yeah,
1: we played. We played the whiskey about ten times.
0: Holy cow!
1: Yeah. That, and,
0: wow! Uh, <laughs> I had a Fender of roads and uh, uh I had a marsh lamp on 10 behind me and I couldn't hear myself yeah I, I, I'm, I'm, I was waiting that I'm not surprised at all actually yeah. I'm, I'm surprised I guess so anyway <laughs> yeah. so so anyway uh, you know I got that offer you know for uh, for Earthwire, yeah. and and uh, the fact that there was no guitar I was the only chordal instrument in it you know it was
1: way it was way more of uh, Musical challenge for me, you know, to do that, you know, because I had to cover, I had to cover all the chords. Absolutely, no guitar. Absolutely, right. And so it was, you know, guitar, two tenor saxophones, and and I mean, no guitar, me on piano. Uh, I forget the the rest of the cat the cat's names, but uh, the four singers, and that's that album. You know,
0: do, and, do you do you remember? I I'm curious because it was so um, it was still. In the early '70s, and and obviously outside of like Sly Stone and a couple of people that had the had really uh, a- uh, antiquated drum machines, everybody, by and large, was hitting at the same time. Did was there minimal overdubbing on that Earth Choir record, or was was it really broken up a lot?
1: Oh no, there was no overdubbing.
0: It was one one you know take. What I, everybody I, hit you the same. I, I yeah.
1: didn't produce it, so I don't know how many. If they did multiple passes of. Uh, both.
0: So, so the vocals were the vocals were overdubbed.
1: Yeah, so yeah. it was piano, bass, and drums uh, for the whole album. Wow! And you know, we cut some tracks like that. There was no overdubbing. I think maybe I might have put a B three part on, or I think I remember putting a chalice line.
0: Did I like it's I, I've, I i mean I have like two copies of that record, and, and only prepping for this interview, I was like Matheson was on that record. I can't. Yeah, I was. Oh yeah. my god. So and that
1: was a great, like I said, that was such a great, great experience because I, you know, at that time, you know, there were guitar trios, but there weren't any piano trios, you know, playing
0: with a, playing more on the rock side, you know. Absolutely not. I mean, the, it, what was, I mean, I can't really see you guys uh, having a, a, uh, a bud. Did you guys get a chance to tour that album or was it not marketed well?
1: No, what happened was that, uh, well, no, we did
0: we did some gigs, but not not out of L.A. Yeah, right. Um, and
1: you know, we signed with um,
0: uh, like Mo West or something, or yeah, right. Yeah.
1: It was right, and it was uh, they they all they really wanted was Tata.
0: That's right. So that band broke up because they you know they wanted to Tata. To they sing everything. They wanted to Tata. To you know, it wasn't a group effort. Anymore, totally you know. totally. And so that
1: that band went by the wayside, you know,
2: and I went on to do other
0: things. Well no, I'm curious about at that time, uh I mean the, the legendary Rosalino story, probably the highlight of this set one with you, you played Dante's. Uh there was like Right. I mean where where where, where were you getting your your how were you able to get stuff out of your system on the bandstand? Were there Clubs like that at that in the early seventies that was like I mean
1: well, it was it was either the Roxy or the or or uh, the Whiskey or uh, there was a there's another club across the street called the Sea Witch.
0: Oh my dude, uh, Larry Taylor called... from Canned Heat right. used to show up there. He would show up there with a broomstick and pretend to play bass. That's unbelievable, right. the Sea Witch. The Sea Witch. Right. Did you ever play with like Paul Lagos or any of those crazy MFers? Like freaking. No. Okay. No. So, 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 so who, who, like out, like, uh, were you playing at those places or were you just going jam there or like was Earth Choir? No, no. The band, the band was booked for those places.
1: You know, wow. I just showed up and played.
0: Wow. Wow. But
1: there's something I left out. Please. In high school, I, uh, joined, uh, I had joined, uh, uh, a band, let's say the band, the band that played all the parts, right? And we played nothing but James uh, James Brown. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know,
0: uh, yeah, vamping uh, all the way, yeah.
1: Right, and so um, at my final year at uh, at San Fernando High, uh, I was we were
0: playing a, I, with that band. We were playing Sea Witch at night. No night way. Yeah, and, oh. and I, you know, I mean, I had a fake ID, you know, but I always looked, you know, at age, 17, 18, I looked like I was, you know,
2: 21. Sure, so sure. In, you know. uh, and then actually, because uh, see music saved, music saved my, my life. In high school, uh, it was about
1: 45% Mexican, not Latino. I, I'm saying it was Mexican, you know, like people weren't coming from South America. I know. did, I did. Right, it was Mexican,
2: and then, uh, uh, and then the other forty five
1: percent was uh, was black, and uh, and then ten uh, percent was white, and those guys and those are the guys that got you know beat up all
0: the time. This but, this uh, was this was in the valley or this was uh, uh down uh, in s- San Fernando. Holy yeah, cow, you, dude! Fernando you were- High School. yeah, they were throwing the white cats into the lockers and shit. Right. Yeah. Right.
1: And so I'm, I'm actually half Mexican. So back then I had black hair. Wow. So, you know, I looked more Mexican. So because I was in, in the band, uh, you know, playing all the dances, you know, everybody knew me. And then there was a bass player who was the head of the black
0: gang there who played bass. And so I played trumpet. No and, way, dude.
1: Yeah, I played trumpet in a, a, a jazz combo, piano, bass, and drums and trumpet. And we took second place in the in the Hollywood Bowl Battle of, uh, 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 of the Bands. I, I
0: this is mind-blowing. And there's
1: a picture of me. I can show it to you. Yeah, it looks really fun.
0: This was like '66.
1: Well, I graduated in '68, so it must have been '67. '67. You know? This is, and we played the Hollywood Bowl.
0: You know, I mean, you know. Well, I just I wanted to ask you. There, there, this is. I wanted to talk to you about this because I mean you clearly had these jazz leanings and you were steeped in it, but the, I, you know with Krieger and these other bands, I just wanted to ask you about the uh, how effective the crossover material was of specifically sixty seven sixty eight. Keep coming back to Lee Morgan, the Sidewinder, right? The Jazz Crusaders, right? Les McCann and Eddie Harris. And Horace Horace Silver, right. I just know a lot of white, a lot of bands, even mixed race bands, but guys that were just playing blues, they could break out. uh, uh, You know, compared to what, or put it where you want it. Like those crossover rock, blues, jazz tunes were incredibly incentivizing for cats who might have had a more limited vocabulary at that time. Right. Exactly. I thought. Yeah. But it's, but
1: uh, it, it worked backwards for me because you know I had a you know I have a more extensive uh,
0: exactly. I'm money. curious about how that how, how how you worked backwards on that because you're you're right. You're most of the cats that I talked to about that stuff, they're coming from the rock side and they were just happy to be able to sort of pull that shit off.
2: Right.
1: Well, for me, I had to tone. I had to learn how to play within three chords. Uh-huh. You know, three chord blues. You know. Uh, so that meant that you know all my bebop licks or any kind of thing like that had you know you know went went out of my vocabulary when I was playing with them, and and that's what uh, back then. The jazzers hated the rockers, and the rockers hated the
0: jazzers. <laughs>
1: and I just loved to play piano. Yeah, you know, I mean, I loved.
0: I you loved, loved it all, man. Yeah, there was no discrimination. Right. Yeah.
1: So, so when I went and played with John Morrell or with, that night with Frank and stuff, I I played two five one, you know, blues and stuff. You know, when I went to when I went back and played the rock gigs, I never played anything out of the triad. You know. Uh, and actually I didn't know it, but that was, you know, getting me ready to be a studio musician because I was learning how to play both. You know, we were playing, uh, like band tunes, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, the, the name
0: of the band. Oh, you mean like Rick Danko tunes, Robbie Robertson tunes?
1: No, no, no I'm talking about, uh, the band with,
0: uh, um, Yeah, with Le- Le- With Levon. Dylan. That, no, oh, oh, Dylan, cool. Dylan in the band. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. we were playing, but we we're playing that, you know, up on what uh, uh uh the weight.
0: Yeah, no, Robbie Robertson and Levon those cats. Yeah, right. so, Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I have to play like that. And Richard yeah. Manuel. Yeah, that's very interesting. That is, but you know, like that less is more kind of thing is invaluable. Right. You know,
1: exactly, exactly. See, okay. So now, so now you think about it. Okay, I was playing those kind of tunes. Right, and I'd have
0: to tone. Uh, and I was playing with John Morrell, so I was going, it's so
1: sick. I was was going so far out. Oh my god, out way out, dude. But that was, I then I'd play so tucked back in, (laughs)
0: learn
1: how to play that. And uh, you know, I had my own tunes, and uh, uh, I didn't realize at the time, but that was setting me up for uh.
0: For you know, uh, being a studio musician, you, you know? know, just in the sense that, like, because in the studio, ultimately, it's about playing to the song or playing parts. So, I mean, you learn to play play parts, you know.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: Exactly. Not when not when I, not when I was
0: with John,
1: but when I had to play. With
0: Absolutely not with morell morell was just let's let's go to the let's go to the intergalactic. You know.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. So all of that was happening at the same time, and and. And that's why, uh, you know, um, later on in the early 90s, you know, I was so worried about, I had this fear of music. You know, where are the young cats going to be able to get what I got? Right. You know, you know where, where could they go to play? You know, I, you know, in 1972, uh, I got a gig at the uh, Playboy Club uh, in the in the lounge.
0: Oh my God!
1: And uh, and they were just calling tunes, and it just so happened that the bass player just got off the road with Duke Ellington, okay, and he decided to take me under his wing, you know. So I, they, they,
0: I'm just going to be clear. I, I, please don't tell me this cast name is Jeffrey Castleman. It is. Oh, dude, he's been hiding from me forever. He's not going to hide anymore, dude. Dude, that dude was the nastiest bass player. Now he's now he's pretending to be a drummer or something.
1: Well, like, you know, I don't, I don't
0: know. I, I, I cannot believe you and Castleman were... This is so, so insane. So, 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 you know, I... I, you
1: know,
0: he took yeah, Castleman yeah, took yeah, you under his wing? Player.
1: I was playing my beat three, but I was more like string parts or something. I had to learn how to play real soft. Because we're in the lounge. Right?
0: Yeah, I did. You, you could blow people out of the room
1: right and so I had to learn how to play real tasty real back there there was a piano player his name was Dick Caesar (laughs) Oh, this
0: is so legendary dude
1: (laughs) and so and so I uh, I look at Jeff and I said man I don't know this tune and he says okay this is what I'm gonna do I'm gonna play real logical bass notes okay that go to the next chord and you're gonna have to learn what the
0: chords are I'm not gonna tell you what the chords are (laughs) you're gonna have to learn and Castleman I said, dude.
1: I, I said I said, so Jeff, I get to Playboy play, Club play, play, and hang out with all the bunnies Right.
0: and,
1: and I get ear training and I get paid. Are
0: you kidding me, dude? That's the best I deal said, in the world, yeah. man.
1: Yeah, he said, yep, that's it. You know, so it was like I had like eight months of like uh uh, uh ear training.
0: I, I actually that that to me is was there a, was there a trap drummer or was it just two?
1: No, it was a, yeah, regular drummer. Um, I forget
0: his name. Oh uh, come on, we got to really get this.
1: He was from the south someplace. Man.
0: Oh my god, dude! I cannot believe Matheson and Castleman were cooking the groove at the Playboy Club. All right, listen, let's put a let's let's put the marker in this. We just cooked for an hour. We got to do set two. You want to do something later this week or something? Sure, man. All right, we'll do set. We got to pick this up. We'll pick it up after the Playboy Club.
1: Okay, cool, man.
0: Thanks. Right, great hang, dude. Talk to you yeah, soon. Yeah, man, and say you know hello to everybody that's gonna listen. To this. Yeah, on the, dude, Krieger's gonna be needing Kleenex for this. This is he's gonna be cry. He's gonna be so thrilled, man. And by the way, he says, uh, tell tell Madison I love him. Yeah, and I love him back. All right. Yeah, be cool. We'll talk soon. Okay, man. All right, peace. Peace. Yeah. <laughs>